This podcast is brought to you by Jeff Havens, the author of Innovation Made Simple, and also Us Versus Them, redefining the multi-generational workplace to inspire your employees to love your company, drive innovation, and embrace change. In this interview with Jeff, he speaks about the fact that innovation doesn't have to be scary, and everything big starts with something small. Jeff is a renowned workshop leader and speaker on the subject of innovation, and he really does make the topic, which sometimes can be overwhelming, very simple. If you want to learn about the steps that Jeff outlines in his book, join us for podcast number 638, where we explore the creative process of innovation. If you want to learn more about Jeff Havens, you can go to www.jeffhavens.com where you can watch videos and become more familiar with Jeff and his services. Please enjoy this podcast with Jeff Havens about innovation made simple. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and the host of Inside Personal Growth. And Dory, as I do every time I come on these shows now in excess of 11 years and 300, or I'm sorry, 300, uh, 636 podcasts and counting, uh, I thank the listeners because without them, Dory, I would not be here. You would not be here. Those are our followers. Those are the people that love us and learn and like to learn from us. And today, uh, joining me from, are you in New York, Dory? I am indeed. Yes, right, right. right downtown. All right. So joining me from New York is Dory Clark. And Dory is the author of three books, which actually one of my first questions for is going to be about this trilogy. But this new book is called Entrepreneurial You, and it's monetize your expertise, create multiple income streams and thrive. And Dory has been on our show before. Um, we have interviewed her for Stand Out and another book called Reinventing You. Dory, I'm going to let my listeners know just a tad bit about you. She's the adjunct professor of business administration at Duke University's. And how do you say that? F-U-Q-U-A. Fuqua. It, it throws Fuqua. everybody off. Fuqua School of Business. And she's the author, as I said a second ago, a book called Reinventing You, which we'll put a link in the blog to another book called Stand Out which was named the number one leadership book in 2015 by Inc. Magazine and one of the top 10 business books of the year by Forbes and was Washington Post bestseller. She's a former presidential campaign spokesperson. The New York Times described her as an expert at self-reinvention and helping others make changes in their lives. <clears throat> She's a frequent contributor to Harvard Business Review, Time, and Entrepreneur, recognized as a branding expert by the Associated Press and Fortune. Uh, Dory is a marketing strategy a consultant and speaker for clients including Google, Microsoft, Yale, University, Fidelity, and the U.S. State Department and World Bank. Well, I think my listeners know just a tad bit about you. And Dory, this new book is the third in a trilogy series um, with Reinventing You and Standing Out being the prior books. And you kind of start this whole book off with a, a little bit about your own story. Tell our listeners a little about you, your journey, and why you decided to actually write this trilogy of books. Well, thank you, Greg. 
Yeah, it's, it's basically my own Lord of the Rings, so I'm very excited for the film adaptation. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I hope you get it. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you. I'm, 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 I'm working on that. We'll, we'll see if it gets optioned. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But in the interim, um, I, uh, I'm glad to tell you a little bit more about it. Reinventing You, the first book, is really intended um, for folks that are looking to make a uh, a transition, a change in their professional lives, whether it's about uh, changing jobs, changing careers, but somehow getting to the place they want to be. My second book, Stand Out, is about once you're in that place, how do you then rise to the top of your field? How do you get to be known as being the best in your company or the best in your profession? What does that take? What does that look like? And then finally, Entrepreneurial You, my new book, is about what I really consider to be the last and perhaps most important piece of the puzzle, which is once, once you're doing great work, once you're you know, really putting yourself out there and making a contribution, how do you make a living at that? How do you get sufficiently remunerated so that you are uh, really thriving and succeeding and earning not just what you're worth, but, but top premier rates? in your field? What does it take to financially thrive in this increasingly disrupted workplace? And so those were the questions that I was asking. And I really began asking all of them because uh, they were things that at various points in my career I have wondered about. And I wanted to uh, have an excuse basically to be able to interview uh, top thought leaders in, in the business world and learn their secrets and then share them with other people so that hopefully we can create a world where the best ideas win and talented professionals are really able to thrive doing the the work that makes the best contribution. Well, I like what you said. And that is that, you know, there, the way I'll put that is that there, it is not linear. Uh, Any entrepreneur out there knows um, you have your ups, you have your downs, uh, you're trying to figure out the pieces of the puzzle, put them together. Um, and what I found out about this book was that it really gives some very, very sound advice about putting those pieces of the puzzle together. Um, everybody has their own puzzle. Everybody's unique. Everybody's different. They do it a different way. But when you take in the stories that you've told in the accounts you told, it makes it a lot easier. And you write about this podcaster, John Dumas. I happen to be on a podcast with him the other day and uh, Richie Norton actually too, um, who's turned out his podcast program entrepreneur on fire into a mega million dollar business. Now his ser- story is certainly a great success. What do you think he did differently that made him this huge success that, you know, I mean, I'm at 600 podcasts. This guy started way after me and he's already got 1800 podcasts out there. And he's turned it into an income, which is way more than I've done. I've been a great podcaster, but I can't say that I've made the mega millions that John has. So uh, what do you think it is, Dory? Well, I'm glad that you pointed to that example, Greg, because I, I really think that, that it is telling and that there are lessons that other talented professionals and entrepreneurs can learn from. When John was starting his podcast a, a few years back, there was a, a conventional wisdom that you know, podcasts are great. They're a great way of raising your profile. They're an interesting and fun thing to do. But everybody knew you can't make real money from podcasts. And the reason that this was such a, a fixed conventional wisdom is that 
when you were thinking about the advertising model, you would get uh, you would get advertisers to pay you on the basis of how many downloads you had. And the podcast audience, you know, wasn't wasn't necessarily that huge. It's certainly growing, but it just proved very difficult for most podcasts to reach a threshold where advertisers would even be interested in in supporting them. Now, part of what this assumption was predicated on was that almost all podcasts were weekly. Some were even less frequent than that because people were busy or, you know, they had other things to do. But the standard was that, okay, once a week you would release a podcast. But John Lee Dumas had a different way of looking at it that turned out to be really critical. And that is, he said, well, wait a minute. What, what if we did a podcast, not every week, but every day? And asking this question was really interesting because number one, of course, most people weren't doing that because it was so hard and so labor intensive. It scared off the competition. But number two, he realized that if somebody liked his show and they subscribed, if he was doing a weekly podcast, they would be downloading four episodes per month. If he was doing a daily podcast, they would be downloading 30 episodes per month, meaning that he had instantaneously 7X'd his number of downloads and with the same number of subscribers, with the same number of interested people, he would be able much faster and much more dramatically to interest advertisers in his show. And so he made the effort to do this, this rather extraordinary effort of putting out an episode every day. And it almost immediately paid off for him. Um, he, he did put in six months of work before he got any money, three months before the launch and three months after his launch. But within about three months post-launch, he was able to start bringing in money from advertisers. And because his success was so dramatic, a lot of other podcasters turned to him and said, geez, what are you doing, John? Show me. And that opened up another world to him of other income by creating a community of podcasters, a paid uh, membership community where people could learn his secrets and learn to help each other. And that is how he was able to turn it into a multi-million dollar empire. But really it starts with questioning the, the assumptions of our field and looking at the way that everybody else is doing things and saying, well, what if I tweaked that formula? What would happen then? Mm -hmm. And it, it, I think you, your whole book is about how do you think outside the box? You even say that. And you've created this um, a, a self-assessment that you uh, provide to everybody. Um, tell our listeners how they can access that self-assessment because I think that's a very important piece of somebody laying a roadmap down first, at least asking the right questions. Because if you keep asking um, your subconscious, these questions, you're going to ultimately come up where, you know, your intuition is going to give you a breakthrough and it's going to say, Hey, look, you know, here's the pieces of the puzzle. So where can they get that, uh, self-assessment and how do they get it? Yeah. Thank you, Greg. This is something that, that I'm, I'm very proud of because I I'm hoping that it can be very helpful to your listeners in helping them think about how to apply these concepts to their own lives, of how to better monetize their ideas and create multiple income streams, which is so critical to being able to, to really uh, succeed and thrive in our current economy. And so I created the Entrepreneurial You uh, Self-Assessment. It's 88 questions that walk you step-by-step step through the process of looking at where your income is coming from now, 
where are the places that you can logically expand and what are the steps that you can take to get there? Um, so these are, these are questions that are drawn from the book, Entrepreneurial You, and hopefully will be a, a reflection tool for the, uh, the listeners and the readers. And folks can download that for free off of my website at doryclark.com slash entrepreneur. All right. So we'll have a link to that uh, self-assessment tool as well. I've already downloaded it. And I can tell you that the questions on there are very thought-provoking. Um, they are going to get you to think about your business, uh, to think about how you're going to market yourself. And as you said, Dory Clark is one of the foremost in that area. Now, it's interesting that John Dumas and Pat Flynn and myself all live in San Diego. Now, John Dumas now has moved and he lives on some, I don't know, he's down in Costa Rica someplace. But all these guys started here. Puerto Rico, actually. Puerto Rico, yeah. Out of the three of us, right? I've been the one doing this the longest and these two have been the one that have made the most money and I've been the one that made the least money. <laughs> um, you also write about success of Pat Flynn and his what's called smart passive income. What have you learned from Pat? I've been on a couple of his podcasts. I have to admit, I haven't been on a bunch of them. Um, I think he's quite interesting. He's extremely dynamic. What is it about this guy and Dumas again uh, that you believe cut the mold, made them different. Um, who knows? Maybe I'll get a breakthrough today and you'll give me some idea about my own show here. Yeah, absolutely. So Pat Flynn is a, a really interesting case. Um, part of his story, uh, he was in training to be an architect. He worked at an architecture firm. And during the 2008 financial crisis, um, his firm was suffering and they ultimately laid him off. And so he was getting married. He needed to find a way to support himself. And something that he had been doing on the side was that he had been training to pass a, uh, a green building certification exam. And this is a pretty complicated test. It's not easy at all. And so he had been uh, blogging, basically, um, essentially to keep himself accountable, uh, just sharing his study tips for this uh, exam. And he decided that he would put up uh, an ebook where it was his best study tips for passing it. And it turned out that he, within a couple of months, he was able to, uh, to be generating thousands of dollars a month from this ebook. He, he completely did not expect that. And so when he ended up losing his job, he thought, wait a minute, you know, this, this sideline seems pretty promising. Maybe I could do something with it. Maybe I should see where I can take it. And so that was the genesis of uh, Pat Flynn and, and Smart Passive Income. Um, but one of his early innovations, which has now actually been copied fairly widely in the online entrepreneurship world, was that he started creating a so-called monthly income report, where he was tracking exactly how much money he was making and also how much he was spending every month in his business. And he would, he would just publicly put it out there. Now, this was kind of a breakthrough because one of the, the, the complaints that people hear often about online entrepreneurship is that there's, uh, there's kind of some skeezy elements out there uh, mm -hmm. in, in, the, in the corners of it. Right. You know, there's, there can be people who, oh, I make millions of dollars. I'll teach you how to make millions. Right. But they blow it out of know. proportion. <laughs> yeah, yes. Exactly. You, I've seen more that have blown sure it out of proportion money. than, I, pardon me, I've seen more that have blown it out of proportion than those that are actually real. So, 
you know, I, I agree with you. I think what he did was uh, incredible to actually publish it. And the money he was making every month was, you know, literally we're talking six figure incomes, five initially, now six, um, to, I think still to date on his passive, uh, his smart passive income site, uh, he still publishes that, correct? That's, that's exactly right. right. And, you know, it, at first, it, it, you know, was just sort of charting when he was just getting started. You know, woohoo, I made $300. But, uh -huh. uh, but over time, people could see the growth. And it engendered an incredible level of trust with his audience because they said, this guy is for real. He's, he's showing all his cards. He's telling us exactly what he's doing, and we can learn from him and with him. And so I think really the lesson there for, for fellow professionals and entrepreneurs is that having a high degree of transparency and trust with your customers becomes really a powerful tool in long-term relationship building. Mm -hmm. and, and I think the other thing is um, he made much of his money from sponsors. Uh, so when you look at the kind of money that was coming in based on the numbers of downloads he was getting or people that were listening to the podcast, it was again, created like John that way, but he had some, some pretty decent sized sponsors, people that were uh, selling cloud-based systems and programs and so on. So it was pretty, pretty good way to do it. Now, look, you've written three books. I've written two. My second one just came out and you mentioned that to the people that are reading your book, Entrepreneurial You, you can write a book and create credibility. Um, what tips do you have for someone who's thinking about writing a book um, so that it gains the kind of traction that they're truly trying to gain? Because look, you can put a lot of time and effort, as you know, into writing a book. Doesn't matter if you have a publisher or not. You can put a lot of money into it. And then you can get to a point where you've either run out of money because you put it all into the book up front and now you've got to promote your book. So what great strategic marketing advice do you have for people on thinking about writing a book? Absolutely. Well, I think the first key point, Greg, is choosing your topic wisely. I, I think for some people, they're so eager to write, you know, some book, any book, uh, just because it's it's kind of a bucket list goal for themselves. And I, I would certainly put myself into this category, in fact. I mean, I was when I first started out, I was not incredibly strategic with my goals. Uh, but I think that something that is very important for people to, to think about is choosing a topic for their book that they can build a business on the back of. So what I mean by that is that you are probably not going to make that much money from the book itself. I mean, God bless you if it becomes a bestseller and, and you make a lot of money from it, that's great. But for, for the vast majority of people, you won't. You might make a little money. Um, you might even be spending a lot of money if you're, if you're self-publishing it. And so the key is to understand how your book fits into the overall marketing puzzle of your business. Is the topic of your book going to drive other kinds of business that you really want to attract, whether it is speaking at conferences about that topic, um, having coaching or consulting clients, uh, you know, what, what is the end game of the book and how can you use that as a, a, a way to create a, a virtuous circle for yourself? That would be job one. Are you there? I am. Yes. Oh, go ahead. Thank so that's you. yeah. So, 
I didn't know if you were done. Just kind of truncated. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Greg. Yeah, I, w I wanted to give you a chance to interject if you uh, if you felt like it. Uh, but oh, I no. can uh, I can I can keep reeling if you'd like. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So the second piece that I would that I would advise uh, potential authors is you know something that. I think is uh, common common wisdom. You know, all the all the people who don't really know about book publishing, uh, you know, like your your kind of random relatives will probably say, "Oh, so are you hiring a publicist?" And that is viewed as uh, the way to get the word out about your book. And I I really want to discourage the vast majority of people from doing that. Um, book publicists, you know, pub publicists of any kind are usually very, very expensive. Um, at the low end, they often charge about $3,000 a month. At the high end, uh, it can be maybe $10,000 a month. And you're not hiring them for a month. They usually require a three to six month contract. So it's, it's an enormous amount of money that you can be expending on this. And the, the truth is, as the media market has gotten increasingly fragmented, um, it, it has become harder to uh, to get any kind of coverage that on its own moves the needle. The vast mm -hmm. majority of, of publicists, just they're not going to get you on the Today Show. They're not going to get you on 60 Minutes. Um, most books are not even, you know, suitable for that from a content perspective. But even if they did, the truth is far fewer people are even watching those shows as compared to what they did 20 years ago. It's not you know, shooting fish in a barrel where, oh, if you can get on this show, it just makes your career. It's not like that anymore. It's a much more diffuse thing. And so instead, I would encourage people, save yourself the, the 10, the 20, the $50,000 on a publicist. And in, instead, uh, focus your, your outreach with, uh, with manpower. And it could be yours. It could be um, somebody that you hire, hire for a much more targeted uh, effort. But, you know, podcasts like this, of course, are a wonderful way to promote books, uh, doing guest blogs, especially if you have a, a core group of friends that might be willing to email on your behalf about it. Those are the things that move copies of books, not, you know, oh, you got uh, 10 seconds on the radio in a suburb of Chicago. Yeah, totally agree with you. And uh, I couldn't concur more that if you're going to author a book and you want to get lift, um, you're the one that's going to get the lift behind the book. Uh, through your efforts of making calls to radio stations and making calls to the podcasters and making calls to those TV stations and those magazines and newspapers. Yes, it takes time, but carve out a part of your day to do that. It's exactly what I'm doing right now with my own book. So I, I couldn't uh, concur. I mean, I think that it's just the best way to go. Now, I love the title of your chapter, The Courage to Monetize. And I think the big word there is courage. Um, I'd probably fall in that category. So what advice do you have for the thousands of people who haven't monetized their podcast? They haven't monetized their speaking. They probably haven't monetized their courses to the degree that they should, or they're not getting the kind of, of people that are coming to the events. Um, what could you, what, I mean, you know, this is a pretty dicey area, monetizing all of this stuff. And there is, as most listeners out there know, there's plenty of competition. So what are you doing to rise above the noise? Uh, that'd be my first part of this. And secondly, what do you do to help people get that courage just to get out there and do it? 
Yeah, I'm so glad you pointed to that, Greg, because I, I did, in fact, use <laughs> use the the word advisedly, the courage to monetize. Because I, I think for for a lot of people, you know, we grow up in a culture where it is still, in many ways, taboo to talk about money, and consequently, many people feel it's very taboo to ask for money, even if you're providing something that, uh, that, that is a valuable service to people. In fact, in, in my um, most recent past book that I wrote, Stand Out, I recount the story of uh, Ramit Sethi, who some of your listeners may know as, a, uh, as a, a blogger. He has the blog, I Will Teach You to Be Rich. And he talks about how for three years, he blogged you know, multiple times a week, all for free, all for free just, you know, giving away his best content. And so finally, three years in, he decided he would, he would do, uh, you know, take a big, bold step. And he created a short ebook and he decided that he would sell it for, uh, for $4 and 99 cents. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's almost silly, right? It's like, oh my gosh, five, $5 he's selling this ebook for. And he was afraid because he was afraid that uh, that his readers would say he was a sellout or that he, you know, suddenly had had impure intentions by doing this. And and actually, the, the truth is, you know, we have to we have to be aware of this. Some people actually did write to him and say mean things. They did say, oh, you know, why are you doing this? You're, you're just trying to get rich off of us. And, you know, it, it's will you receive some criticism if you are asking for money? Sometimes you will, but the, the far more important thing to keep in mind is understanding that it is not sustainable. It is absolutely not sustainable for professionals to keep doing something for free forever. Of course, you want to do things for free at first, you know, blog for free, share your content, share your ideas so that people will understand that your ideas have merit um, so that they know that they like you enough to want to listen to you. Um, that that just makes good sense. You're building your audience. You're building a fan base. But at a certain point, you have to be willing to uh, to convert at least some of that to paid offerings. And as we saw actually with Pat Flynn, many people, if you've built up enough trust, will be happy to support you. Um, one of the most interesting things that Pat Flynn discovered when he first started selling his uh, his ebook about how to pass the green building exam was that about 25% of the people who bought the book, he surveyed them afterwards, said that they had already taken and passed the test and they bought the book. And, mm-hmm. and he, he was mystified. He's like, well, well you know, why? You, you already passed it. Why do you need this study guide? And they said, well, Pat, until, until now, you've never had something we could buy. And we learned so much from your blog for free that we wanted to pay you back somehow. And so we decided to buy this to support you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the relationship and, and the, the headspace that we want to get in. If you, if you have been generous with your audience in providing value to them, there are going to be many people who really want to be able to support you, to, uh, you know, to, to give back in some way. And so charging is not an imposition. And it's, something that makes your work sustainable over the long term. Um, and, and that's what we need to be doing. Yeah. And I think an, another gentleman who's done an excellent job of that is uh, Michael Hyatt, you know, uh, gives tons of great advice on writing books and monetizing and all kinds of things. 
And when you're done, you, you kind of feel obligated. So, okay, I, I, I've gotten all this for free at this point. Now, you, you have a great story about Michael Parrish Dudell, the author of the Shark Tank book. Uh, can you tell us, um, kind of, uh, you know, you, you emphasize the fact that entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs need to ask for the sale. Now, in this guy's case, and we've been talking about this because in monetizing it, you've got to ask. And in, in this guy's case, he asked, um, I, and I guess his first sale was like $24,000 or something like that. But tell us a little bit about this story because I think it was, it was fascinating. Yeah, thank you. So Michael Parrish Dudell, you know, he's a young guy. Um, he, he ultimately was able to, uh, as you mentioned, write, uh, write the book that was based on the TV show Shark Tank, which you know, has been a uh, big hit. But when he was in the earliest phase of, of his career, he, uh, he had been doing some work for Seth Godin, the, uh, the, the famed marketing author. But mm-hmm. he, he wanted to, uh, to branch out on his own and, and potentially start his own business. But he had, he had never done that before. He, he thought that he could add value to people, but he had never sold. And of course, that is what's really critical if you are going to be an entrepreneur. You need to be able to bring in business successfully. And so he decided that he would essentially give himself a hard deadline. He was going to give himself a really difficult test. And that test was if he could, if he could get a consulting client in a month, he would be able to, to pursue this and, uh, and keep going and launch a business. But if he gave himself a month and he couldn't pull it off, he was going to just pack up his bags. He was going to quit and say, you know what? I guess I'm not cut out for this. I'm just going to get a job. And so for that month, knowing that that deadline was, was hanging over his head, he hustled harder than you could possibly imagine. And because he knew this, this was it. And during the course of that month, he actually was able not just to, to get a client, he was able to get multiple clients uh, because he was not afraid, given the urgency of his deadline, to reach out to, you know, to do basically the thing that all entrepreneurs know we should be doing, but nonetheless hesitate to do, which is call up everyone in your network and say, hey guys, I'm starting this new thing. Here's what I'm doing. If you need this, or if anyone you know needs this, you know, let's please get in touch or refer me to them. Um, I think that a lot of times because we're nervous about what people might say, because we're a little afraid of rejection, we, uh, we do, you know, what I'll call marketing around the edges. You know, we might say, oh, you know, here's a Facebook post that says, oh, I have a new business. Or, you know, maybe we send a blast email. But, but you know, it's, it's sort of letting people know in the lightest of ways and frankly, most people probably never even see that or pay attention to that. But if you actually reach out person to person, which is how you have to build your business in the earliest days, and say, here is what I'm doing, could this be helpful to you? That is, uh, that is what's necessary to really drive early business growth. And so he was able to see results from that because he, he, it was hard, but he made himself do it. Well, I think one of the things that you said in that was also going back to that list of people, whether it's 10 people or 10,000 people and getting back to them and keeping in touch with that core group. I obviously have a very strong core group here 
at Inside Personal Growth. And, and I probably haven't been that good. And you remind me of things that, you know, I really need to do. I mean, there's, I have faithful listeners like crazy, um, but I've never done a survey, right? I've never gone back to them and asked them for anything. Um, so, you know, you're pointing out some basics, but you're also pointing out things that you're asking the entrepreneur say, look, what's most important? Uh, is it getting out another podcast? Or is it actually going back to the people that are listening to your podcast and the ones that are adding on daily? Because I keep getting these messages that come in the box saying, someone else new has come on, someone else new has come on. Well, you know, what's your introductory email? Are you reaching out to those people? So I think that what you're saying has just a, a ton of validity to it. And for my listeners, if you really want to do a deep dive, get the trilogy series of uh, Dory's books. Uh, this one we've been speaking about is called Entrepreneur You. We've been on with Dory Clark. She's also the author of Reinventing You. Um, Dory, besides your website, uh, Dory, and that's D-O-R-I-E Clark, C-L-A-R-K.com, where else would you want to send the listeners? Is there anything that you would like them to know before we end our podcast here? Yeah, Greg, thank you so much. I, I'd certainly invite, uh, invite your listeners to connect with me on Twitter. I'm at Dory Clark or, or on LinkedIn. And uh, again, the uh, entrepreneurial use self-assessment, uh, they can all download for free at doryclark.com slash entrepreneur. All right, everybody, you heard it. You got uh, an invitation to talk to Dory herself, send her an email and ask your questions. And I really would encourage you uh, to ask Dory questions, especially about your marketing um, strategy. She certainly has somebody that's um, gone the length to learn this, not only learn it, but experience it herself. And I think that's the most important thing. It's one thing to write about something. It's another thing to have experienced it yourself. And so Dory has done that. Dory, thanks for being on Inside Personal Growth and sharing some of your wisdom from your new book, Entrepreneur You. Thanks so much for having me on.